Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Brian O'Keefe, and welcome to the latest, greatest episode of Into the Breach. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host here, Jenna Usenheimer. How are you doing, Jenna? Good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing very well. In uh, today's episode, uh, it's around the one-year anniversary of COVID, which uh, the start of COVID in the United States anyway, which is uh, very hard to believe. And before the show, Jenna and I were recounting uh, our initial discussions about this. And I'll actually say that she, uh, you were ahead <laughs> of the news, Jenna. That's all. That's the only way I guess I can put it. Yes, my hypochondriac uh, tendencies happen to come in pretty handy in this particular pandemic. So good job. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And we were actually at a reps and warranty conference. And Jenna was telling me the whole time that there was going to be this crazy thing coming to the United States and we should all be aware. And I was telling her she was being a hypochondriac and there was nothing to worry about. And Actually, was I was worried China. it was already here to be clear, but even looking, even though I was worried about it, looking back on the things that I was like, had no concerns doing at the conference and the hotel, like, you know, in the like conference rooms and like the happy hours and stuff. It's like unbelievable looking back how totally okay I was with those things. Like now knowing what you have to do to be safe. So well, oh, how far we've come, Brian. Well, and you're, you're just ahead of your time. I guess the moral of the story mm-hmm. is I should just always listen to you, right? I will take that. Yeah. <laughs> That's on air now forever. So. <laughs> well, we are, forever. we are also happy to have on air with us today our guest, a very special guest uh, today with us, everybody. Uh, uh, he needs no introduction in this world, but I'll still give him one anyhow. Who's uh, <laughs> the executive vice president uh, and the transactional solutions leader at Willis? Um, and Bill is going to be on the show today to talk with us, uh, sort of, you know, kind of recounting uh, the since we're at the one year anniversary of COVID, um, sort of, you know, what what happened last year, uh, how COVID changed the uh, the product, and then sort of looking forward and, and where we're at now. Uh, with vaccines and, and reopenings and, and just the changes in the market as well uh, that have come about because of COVID. So we're really uh, very excited to have our very special guests here today to kind of give us a, a look at COVID uh, one year later. Uh, so welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jenna, for having me. Uh, and look forward to, uh, to a fun discussion today. Great. Great. Thanks. Well, thank you. And and I know you know you need no introduction, Bill, but uh, perhaps for maybe somebody that this is their first day on the job in RWI <laughs> and they, they've not met you yet, uh, maybe you just want to give a little bit of background uh, on yourself uh, and your role at Willis. Sure. So uh, I lead uh, the transactional risk practice at Willis. Uh, I've been in that role since uh, 2011. I lead our North American practice, an international practice. Uh, Led by my colleague Alex Cavill out of London, and uh, you know I've been in the rep and warranty space uh, since um, I, I kind of fell into this space accidentally back in 19, believe it or not, the late 1998 uh, when I was at uh, 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 part of Aon's MGU operations, and and uh, we acquired a broker in London that uh, had at that point the only warranty indemnity uh, facility uh, in London that. Uh, mm-hmm reps and warranties and warranty indemnity insurance. And they sent me over there for three weeks to figure out what the product is. 
And in the last day we launched a facility and I started underwriting rep and warranty insurance, uh, not really knowing what I was doing in January of 1999. So, and uh, you know, figured it out over time and underwrote for about 10 years and have been on the broking side in the last about 10 years. So it's uh, it's been a long a long trip. And and uh, at first, uh, in the early years, people, they said what I did and they got books and said, you do what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now it's like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. You know, so it's become a, a real product. But in the early days, there were just a few of us running around that everyone thought was crazy um, with this new insurance product that would never that would never last. And, uh, you know, and here we are. Um, and it's uh, now used in uh, the majority of certainly private M&A transactions, I think, yeah. in us and uh, has become a, a real staple uh, in the M&A industry. And um, it's been amazing to see it develop over the years. Great. Well, you proved the skeptics wrong on the uh, staying power of the product. <laughs> that's, uh, that's for sure. So um, we're really excited to have you here. And I, I think we'll just hop right into it, um, you know, kind of going back in time, uh, really to like March uh, 2020, around a year ago, uh, this week, actually, um, is, you know, when COVID really, I think, arrived, uh, you know, in the United States, I think even, uh, you know, Jenna and I have talked about this, I think we kind of pegged the, the real dates is around March 12th, March 13th, um, is, you know, when this was really becoming an issue and going to be something that was going to obviously have an impact. And um, perhaps, you know, maybe if you want to just discuss, you know, maybe a little bit, take our listeners back a little bit to the beginning of, of 2020 and, you know, where the markets were and then, you know, just how, how COVID sort of immediately impacted, uh, you know, reps and warranty insurance and, and what was what was going on in the, in the in March of 2020. Yeah, sure. Happy to. I mean, you know, we finished 2019, you know, a really strong, busy year. I mean, the product continued to, to grow and and uh, and we were busy. It was continuing to grow and evolve and develop more teams, uh, adding people to the industry every day and every week. Uh, uh, and early 2020, you know, it was just a continuation of that. You know, January and February were, were very busy, active months. We were setting, really, uh, you know, sort of record numbers in terms of, you know, booking business those months. Um, and you're right. And the date in my mind, I look back, uh, was Monday, March 9th, because uh, that was a, a, yeah. a, um, <laughs> a particularly interesting day for me because I woke up to a uh, to an email that uh, we that we were merging with Aon uh, at uh, <laughs> six, six in the morning. Uh, so that that started my day, and then a couple hours a day, a couple hours of the markets started crashing, and the and, and trading was halted. And I think it's that week that really you know, COVID uh, really hit, you know, um, yeah. uh, US. and uh, it was really later that week, I think when, as you say, the 12th, 13th, uh, the end of that week when lockdowns really started and schools started shutting down and, and businesses started shutting down. I was in New York actually the last couple of weeks of February on business and I uh, was actually supposed to go back the first week of March and I got sick, uh, uh, <gasps> sick all night that Monday night, I was supposed to fly Tuesday morning and I didn't make the trip because uh, there was COVID kind of floating around, you know. There was in New York, yeah. yeah so, yeah. And, uh, so I don't know. Maybe I had it. Maybe I didn't. Uh, I never got tested. You couldn't get a test, you know. Then, yeah, I remember, yeah. Uh, unless you actually went to the hospital, I wasn't going to go to the hospital. So, um, thankfully, uh, <laughs> I didn't have to. But, but yeah. So it was, um, it, you know. And then everything kind of went from there. So um, we started. Obviously, the deals all started to go pencils down. Yeah. Uh, um, and, uh, and we were working through, you know, the few deals, some deals that were right at the finish line did, did sign, you know, then, but then we started to deal with 
you know, how is COVID going to impact not just deals, but, you know, rep and warranty insurance. And, uh, and, and it's been a long, it's hard to believe it's been 12 months, but, uh, but that's, um, that was the beginning of it. But what's really, I think business has really bounced back pretty strong. I mean, when did you start to see deals come live again and the business pick back up again and activity reemerge in the industry? Yeah, we started to see things pick up um, in July, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit in June, July. But by August, we were starting to see some real signs of, you know, kind of things are getting, you know, busy. And then mm-hmm. from September on, it was just ex- accelerated and, and the fourth quarter was absolutely insane. I mean, uh, I think from everyone's perspective, you know, the volume and you see the numbers were record record numbers. Um uh, across the industry, and uh, uh, and we were certainly seeing that on the rep and warranty side, and it took really an extraordinary effort by by um, our team to get through uh, the end of the year. Um, it was uh, yes. pretty much working from <laughs> 6 a.m. Till, till 1 a.m. almost every day. Uh, yeah, you know, got a couple breaks on the weekends here and there, you know, but that kind was, of that was, yeah, kind <laughs> of. Uh, but that was yeah, it was um, it got incredibly busy, uh, and it was a uh, but it was you know. It was insane, but in a way, it was it was um, it was great because if you asked me in May, I had to do I had to do reforecasted numbers for the year uh, in May, and right. and I gave our senior management a number. I thought, you know, there's probably no way we're going to get to this, you know, but uh, but I got to be optimistic, you know. So so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna give them a fairly optimistic number, and we we blew that number away, you know, yeah. quarter. So so and that. It was good because we ended up having a, a, a pretty good year uh, and recovered a lot of the um, business that that was. It's we did a full year. <laughs> yeah, we, we the fourth quarter we did you know enough for two quarters of uh, normal <laughs> yes. years. So it was uh, it, it turned out to be okay, but it was a very strange year. Uh, and and uh, and uh, and it all started um, yeah that first week in March. Bill, yeah. and I think actually you you hit on something, and I and I know we've talked about this with other other brokers and underwriters, but I think we're curious to your opinion. You know, we're we're in the middle of a we're still in the middle of a, of a you know global pandemic. Even in the fourth quarter, uh, if anything, COVID was actually getting worse throughout the fourth quarter and getting worse, uh, you know, through the end of the year. Uh, still a fair amount of, of economic uh, uncertainty. I think just out in the world, putting aside the the stock market, but just you know, just sort of. The way I think people feel right now, and yet you know we saw this this incredible boom still at the end of the year. Uh, we you know you may think that uh, those two things are sort of in contradiction to each other. So I think just uh, you know, what's your view on why why we continue to see this boom that was stronger than than normal even in the midst of of these extremely unusual circumstances we have right now? Yeah, I think what happened is the first couple of months, you know, on lockdown, everyone's kind of just in a state of shock. And like, you know, first, you know, we say, how long is this going to be a month? Is it going to be two months? People realize, no, this is going to be, you know, for a while, you know, this is not going away anytime soon. And uh, and I think at some point um, the light went off that, hey, you know, we can still do deals. You know, we can find a way to get deals done, um, you know. It, there's a lot of technology that that's been at our fingertips and we, and we work, you know, remotely, you know, generally a, a lot anyway. And I think people realize that um, all this, you know, technology we don't really use in terms of uh, you know, video calls and, and, and zoom and, and, and teams and all the things we've been doing, we've found a way to stay connected and, and have some level of human interaction. And, and then people did get out and do some socially distanced onsite, you know, diligence, uh, you know, meetings uh, once the summer came around. And I think, 
Um, there was a lot of obviously capital uh, that people wanted to put to use, uh, both on the private equity side, and there was a lot of you know corporate interest in doing deals. Once people got over the hurdle that yes, we can still do deals, um, it's like their desks at their computers and and it got and and it got it was sort of catch up time almost and and, and I think uh, it just got incredibly busy um, so it was a you know it was just a kind of a perfect storm where um, everyone the light went off that we can get deals done and and uh, and, and 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 definitely that happened so uh, so it was a uh, you know I think it just took time for people to realize that we could still get this done you know um, in this environment. And when deals did start coming back, how did you see the policies addressing um, the COVID as a, as a broad exclusion, as a per se exclusion? Was it subject to diligence? I mean, how did you really see that start? And in your experience, how has the COVID exclusion evolved through time? Yeah, so it started, you know, I think some some insurers came out with a very broad COVID exclusion at the outset. They were very right. about, you know, how is this going to impact the coverage? Um, we were also dealing with, you know, a lot of deals at that point that is signed and not yet closed. And so mm-hmm. there was, you know, getting through the bring down and, and, and trying to avoid any new exclusion on the policy. And generally we were successful in doing that. Um, uh, but we had some deals that aborted, you know, and then came back, you know, we had one deal that was signed and ended up in litigation where the seller sued the buyer to, to enforce closing. Wow. Um, we ended up past the, the, wow. you know, the um, date we ended up actually, you know, um, that deal did end up closing, and we ended up with binding a reputable warranty policy at closing. We kind of renegotiated, and, and that one we had extensive discussions, you know, with uh, the client and counsel and the underwriter um, uh, on the COVID exclusion. And but we got to a point that everyone, you know, uh, could live with. Um, and uh, uh, but but that was you know that deal ended up closing. I think probably in like June, but it was supposed to initially you know close in March 31st. I think. And, <laughs> And it and it and it did, and then the seller sued to enforce closing, and uh, um, and ultimately the parties came back together and we got it done. But at first there was some very broad exclusions. There were a couple markets that, that were a little more, um, you know, less mandatory on a broad exclusion and took it more on a case by case basis. And I think that that helped them, you know, win business because certainly we did some deals where we did a deal in uh, I think April or May. It was a it was a private equity client that bought a business in the in the um, uh, uh, in the personal protective equipment space in the medical field. And, and uh, it's and a good they, investment. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, that, was, that was smart thinking. Yeah. And, you know, in diligence, we're able to show that there was no impact on the supply chain. There was no, yeah, impact, right. no disruption of operations. And obviously they, anything they could make, they could sell, you know, so, right, right. so, um, and that one, we worked with a market that, that was a little more creative and, and we ended up with no exclusion. Now in other deals, it was it's more of a challenge. So I think it got to the point where, um, sometime late mid to late summer, some of the insurers that had very broad mandatory exclusions pulled back mm-hmm. off that position, and uh, uh, and so we're working and you know, we were working through and we're still working through to this day, you know, um, you know, and we're seeing now in the Sims and some of the presentations, you know, a few pages on COVID impact on the business and and it's Definitely. something looked at in diligence and. And uh, and underwritten, you know, like any other issue, you know, as to and, and generally, I think the the approach is insurers aren't going to take known risk, you know, identified mm-hmm. risk. COVID, you know, no one really will insure risk around uh, PPP loans or exactly. That's what I was going to ask you about. I yeah. think that's the thing that we don't really see a lot of movement on. That's yeah, we have yeah. that has been pretty solid. I mean, that yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And then 
And then COVID specific reps, I think the market has not really had, you know, appetite for, and that's been pretty consistent. Um, uh, but subject to that, it's been really navigating around, you know, what impacts have have have, have at the target had on uh, around COVID and, and trying to underwrite around that to not take known risk, uh, uh, but not exclude um, unknown risk, if you will. Um, so, and, and that's been going actually pretty smoothly. Some deals where it's more challenging, you know, where it's there has been some impact and then trying to negotiate to where that exclusion should be, um, you know, can be a challenge, but we've generally gotten to a good place that everyone's can live with and, and it hasn't held up any deals um, that, that we've worked on. Yeah, I mean, Brian, I would say that in our practice as well, there's definitely, I have noticed more of an appetite to be a little bit more uh, flexible, negotiate the scope of COVID exclusions. And more and more, we don't, or don't even see them in the MBILs necessarily, just always the PPP loans and CARES Act yeah. for sure. But some, depending on the kind of business, it's, we're not always um, even seeing them at the outset. Yeah, some insurers do have a mandatory like sickness exclusion. Yeah, uh, that we see sometimes. Yeah. yeah so, but um, but that's much narrower than these broad, you know, any impact on the right. target that right. COVID has had. Uh, you know, that that's a whole that's a different um, exclusion. And then people get concerned about you know if you have that broad exclusion, how it's going to be enforced. I mean, because you know the financial statements, for example, if they're probably impacted by if the if the business has had COVID impacts at all. You know, the financials probably have been impacted, but you don't want to fully exclude, you know, breaches around financial statements because just because the numbers are different because of COVID, that doesn't necessarily if there's a breach that has nothing to do with COVID, right? Right. Be covered if there's an accounting irregularity, for example. So, um, so that's it's that's the challenge is to make sure that the risks that really aren't COVID related are not excluded uh, in these exclusions that are on the policies. Mm-hmm. And I think too, we've we've I think we were saying this from the outset that um, mm-hmm. you know there was a, a real ability we thought to underwrite this, and the risk was not spread evenly across the board. There were some companies that were uh, certainly you know hurt by this tremendously, of course, but you know there were a lot of other companies like the one you just mentioned, uh, Bill. You know that are not really hurt by this. And Jen and I had one that uh, signed before COVID that was like an ebook reader company. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, all these schools are shut down and everyone's converting to these ebook readers. Right. And yeah. you know, we did the bring down call and they're like, this is the greatest investment in the world probably right now. So, yeah. um, you know, so like companies like that, you know, like everyone's working remotely, there's no, you know, everyone's worked from home. I mean, it just really isn't impacted the same way. And I think that there are, you know, certainly there's enough deals out there to, to really, you know, to really kind of focus your energies and, and, and try to be uh, underwrite to what the actual risks are, um, you know, is something that we thought was was certainly possible with all this. So, um, yeah, where do you where do you kind of think it's going from here in terms of, uh, you know, as we kind of look forward from now? Well, we're not out of it yet, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, no kidding, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> no kidding. Because <laughs> we're all sitting here in our yeah, houses, right. and, uh, you know, and haven't seen each other in person in a year. So, uh, so we're not out of it yet, obviously. Uh, but, but there's certainly some optimism on the horizon that that you know the vaccines coming out that uh, yeah, um, yet hopefully in a few months, you know, we'll be getting back to more normalcy. Um, and uh, but but still, there's going to be a level of uncertainty how these impacts are all going to you know flush out. You know, um, is there going to be sort of uh, delayed impact? And 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 so it's still going to be an issue uh, on deals. I think in terms of um, underwriters are going to be sensitive to it. And uh, 
and and deal parties are going to have you know address it. Um, uh, so, but I, I see us. I think we've got a good mechanism in place for dealing with it at this point, and so we're going to continue to ride that out, you know. And then as it kind of hopefully over time you know, dissipates, um, we'll get back to, to to more of a normal. And this this issue will at some point you know be an issue of the past. Uh, but but you know for now. Certainly for the you know for the next few months and I think throughout 2021 you know we're going to be dealing with this issue uh, in deals and and in our lives um, and um, you know uh, and we'll see how that develops but uh, but, it, but I don't think it's going to be an obstacle to to getting deals done because we've kind of navigated through that part of it it's really just you know when it's going to fading away and, and that we just don't know exactly yet but hopefully it's better to do that soon hopefully soon. Yes. <laughs> Looking forward to life returning to normal. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Now I, I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of the markets too, just like you said, at the end of the year, I mean, I think we've seen a yeah. very strong beginning of uh, 2021. I think everybody, uh, I mean, we, you know, we were saying we had seven underwriting calls in the last 48 hours. I think everybody's been extraordinarily busy and, you know, uh, that trend from the end of the year has certainly been continuing in the, in the 2021 right now. Yeah, we're certainly seeing that as well. We've we've continued to be very busy the first, uh, you know, uh, two plus months of the year, and and no signs of that slowing down at all. Well, that's good Great. to hear. Well, well, it's a good problem for all of us to have. So, well, but we've really appreciated your uh, your insights on this, Bill, and we know you're a real leader in the industry, and I think uh, really no better person to be able to give our listeners sort of the broad overview of, of where we've been and where we're going with uh, with COVID. So we really appreciate that. But um, now we'll maybe turn to the fun part of the show. Not that the rest of the show is not fun, but the, the, the most fun part of the show, shall we say. So um, this is our, uh, our Shakespearean once more under the breach, where we ask some uh, kind of quick questions that we uh, try to elicit uh, interesting answers from our guests. And the one we always <laughs> ask first is, um, what's the biggest change that you expect in RWI in the next 12 months? But you've you've already uh, aced the exam bill and you've already answered that question. <laughs> so we're going to throw another curveball at you here. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of go back in time uh, to March 2020. Um, and what was the biggest change that you thought back in March 2020 that you were going to see in RWI going forward in the year that, that you didn't see or something that you thought was going to happen, but, but didn't happen. So. Boy, that's a tough one because it's uh, so much has happened. Uh, and since we're March, tough questioners. That, uh, yeah. That, that totally uh, <laughs> kind of threw things, uh, you know, uh, threw things off track, uh, so to speak. And, 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 uh, and took us in, in directions we didn't anticipate, but, you know, I think looking back, if I, you know, when I was sitting there in February, 2020, I think we're, we were all expecting, um, or I should say we were all, I was expecting that there would be some, you know, we were seeing claims activity on these policies, obviously, and expecting there would be some, um, you know, some modification of, uh, of pricing potentially on the upward side. You know, we, we've seen that now. I mean, um, right. um, you know, it didn't really hit until really the fourth quarter. Um, and, and that was sort of a, but I think there was definitely a, a um, a sense by some of the insurers that that was you know, necessary um, given some of the loss activity they were seeing. Uh, and we were sort of expecting that, but that didn't really happen until you know, late in the year. So I think that that actually has you know sort, sort of happened now. And I think we're in a situation now 
the markets, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where that should be. You know, um, we're seeing a much more uh, disparity in pricing on deals when we go out to market than we saw, you know, pre, if we went back to February of 2020, we get we go out and get you know six eight quotes whatever how many quotes we're getting and and they'd all be within you know 30 to 40 basis points you know now um we we'll go out and we'll see some we'll see you know um you know 100 150 basis points sometimes spread in pricing you know uh on the same deal you know so it's um so i think you've got a market that's um that's trying to figure out you know where um you know, where the pricing should be. Uh, and uh, it's a competitive market, you know, uh, but uh, but also a market where, you know, the product has to has to work, you know, effectively, you know, long-term. I think it's, um, uh, it's a product that, you know, going back to the beginning, you know, uh, it can't be a replacement for due diligence. That's what we, that's what we started telling people back in 1999 and, and it's still true today um, that, uh, that, that for this product to work, there has to be full some due diligence. And, uh, and that's the biggest um, uh, thing uh, uh, that you know we need to continue to see um, as the as 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 we move forward. Um, and uh, and if that happens, then we'll be okay. We'll be able to work through and navigate through kind of where the pricing should be, where you know where the retention should be, what you know how we deal with um, with different issues in terms of exclusions or not being excluded, et cetera. Um, and uh, but. Going back, I would say, you know, I was thinking that we'd probably see some pricing increase. Uh, it didn't happen right away, but it ultimately has happened. Um, and it's still settling right now. So we'll see how that plays out. There's still a lot of competition in the marketplace. There's a lot of there is, yeah. see new capital come into the place, into the market. Um, and uh, uh, so it's definitely a product that's got, you know, a lot of interest uh, and um, um uh, you know, from the insurance market. And I think it's going to continue. It just really, it's just a matter of, you know, uh, figuring out kind of where you know how how it can be effectively underwritten in the long term uh, in the long run, um, and uh, as insurers as the data continues to develop and analytics continue to develop around the product is going to you know drive that. And I know that's lots of folks uh, focused on that in terms of you know trying to figure out you know um, you know what's driving claims, what's driving losses, you know, um, and and it's a complicated thing in M and A because it's not it's not like um, other insurance products where you can build models around around uh, right. weather and different things and, and and actuarial studies and so it's it's and it's because it, it's constantly evolving the purchase agreements are evolving right. you know, uh, the deals are evolving uh, so it's it, it's a challenging area to, to underwrite it's a challenging area to be involved with in any aspect but uh, but it's exciting and fun and I think it's a, it's a valuable product um, and uh, but uh, so we'll see we'll see where things go moving forward. And as underwriting counsel, we have to say we cannot agree with you more that it is not a replacement for diligence. <laughs> <laughs> diligence, everyone. That is one of the biggest changes that I've seen anyway, is the quality of diligence is definitely uh on a downhill. Sometimes, not all deals, but some deals are definitely uh could definitely recommend uh, or benefit from your recommendation there, Bill. So we agree. Yeah. Well, I think our second question, Bill, um, uh, you know, this is maybe for people who are interested in this industry um, and, and maybe aren't in it right now, or maybe uh, younger folks who are looking and getting involved in it, but especially for someone like yourself, who's, who's really been involved in it since the beginning, you know, what's your biggest piece of career advice you might give for, uh, for somebody who's uh, interested in working in RWI or want to get involved in this? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating field to be involved in. I mean, it's so it's so varied. You see so many different things in terms of the the number of deals. Uh, 
Um, and uh, it's fast paced if you're looking for something that um, is challenging, interesting, dynamic. Uh, now you've got to be committed to, to working a lot. It is MA <laughs> and uh, and it's not a nine to five job as, as you well know, and we all know. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's more of a nine to nine job, you know, 24 hours, uh, you know, when it, when it needs to be, but, uh, but look, it's, it's, um, there's great people, uh, that you meet. There's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting work. It's varied and it's challenging. So, so if you're looking for all those things, I think it's a great place to be. Um, and, uh, and, and there's definitely a lot of opportunities, uh, that are can uh, continue to be available uh, to get into this market. All right, and then this is the most fun of all the fun questions that we've asked you. So mm -hmm. we wanna know about your favorite outdoor adventure. And I know it's winter right now and you're in Chicago, so it might not be so easy to get outdoors, but what has been your favorite activity to get out of the house and be outside and exercise and all that good stuff? Yeah, so what um, I think the biggest thing, and we, we do like, my wife and I like to get out and do stuff. We we generally take vacations uh, to the mountains and, and places like that, and like to hike and, and do things. Uh, when when we have vacations. Yes, when we have vacations. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but but what we found in COVID when we we're stuck here is that actually, you know, I live in the Chicago suburbs, and there's actually amazing bike trails, uh, you know, right outside our door, uh, and we didn't even realize that. So we we've uh, you know starting in the you know, spring of last year and, and, uh, until, you know, we got froze out in the winter, uh, <laughs> uh we've been uh, venturing out on the weekends and, and really there's some great, uh, off-road, uh, bike trails, uh, that are either on old railroad beds or, or they've been built, uh, different right-of-ways and, and, uh, you can go on 10 mile rides and 50 mile rides and, and, and not be in traffic and, and be out in nature. So it's, uh, so that's been that's been our you know escape, if you will, and uh, and something we really enjoyed and, and realized it's right outside our uh, right outside our door and didn't really even weren't even really clued into it. Um, uh, and are you doing a lot of fifty mile rides? No, fifty miles a lot. Yeah, miles a lot. A lot of like uh, I would say you know fifteen to twenty mile rides. You know. So are you fancy? Do you have shoes that like clip into your? No, legs? I'm pretty no. basic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, yeah me a hybrid too. bike, a decent hybrid bike, and yeah. yeah. We're not, we're not, uh, I don't clip in. I don't put the bike gear on. It's, uh, you know, the t-shirt shorts and when it's warm out and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, so I'm not, that's the next, uh, step in the, in the, in the process, I guess, if I serious about it, it's more of a, that's a serious uh, step. I th yeah, that's a like a real step. commitment. Yeah. 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 So, so we're, we're still pretty low key about it, but it's just good to get out and get some exercise and, and get outdoors. Totally. That's good. I, uh, I did a, I did a bike trip when I was like 14 years old. It was on the CNO canal. It's 184 miles. Wow. And I did it. I did it. Damn. Uh, and I, and I, I didn't ride a bike for another 20 years after that. It was, like, yeah. I, 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 it was like, that's it. Like I have no interest in doing this ever again. And I don't know. So maybe I should follow your advice, Bill. Maybe if I want to pick up another activity here, since it sounds so pleasant the way that you should let bygones be bygones from my childhood. And, uh, do, do what you're doing there. So you're going to get past it, Brian. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we make psychological breakthroughs on this show. Really. So, great. Well, we had a very uh, psychologically entertaining show today with you, Bill. Uh, thank you so much for for being on the show. Thank this you, was, Bill. Uh, really great. Uh, I know our listeners always appreciate uh, your insights. We know you're a frequent uh, participant at the 
conferences. So with with no real conferences, we're bringing them uh, into their into their homes into the podcast here. Um, and just really appreciate you being on today and uh, offering your insights on COVID and where we've been and where we're going with it. So thank you. Yep. No, thank you, Brian and Jetta, uh, very much. Um, where's my phone? Very, he has to hop to an underwriting call, I'm sure. Very busy. Well, thank you very much. Really thank you very much. It. It's been, it's been All right. Well, thank, thank you. you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Into the Breach. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Seifarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.